And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of, his, of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Good reading, thank you. Good morning, church. Here we are, gathered and distant, hopefully not relationally, but physically. But it's good to gather, isn't it? It's a little bit warmer now, hopefully, than you noticed last week. And as I said on the video, I don't know if any of you saw the video that I made and posted on Facebook, but... I was saying, you know, it was absolutely freezing in this room last week. But I went home and I told April, I said, you know, I'm glad that it was. And she said, oh, my goodness. Like, I don't mean to embarrass you, Marge. But she's like, you know, Marge is near 100 years old. And, <laughs> and I mean, really, God's been, how, how kind of the Lord to think about that. You're all nearly 100 years old. Like, think how much Marge has seen in her life. John's like. And, but yet here she is, and it's like negative 50,000 whatever degrees here with the wind chill. And Marge is faithfully there. Thank you, Juanita, for bringing her last week. And, and, and but here, here all of you are, you're, you're coming. You, why? Why? Because you know it's important to gather on the Lord's Day together. And, and you know, hopefully it's warmer now, but when, when things are uncomfortable and, and we're forced to write, that's when we really actually make the, it, it really validate that, hey, this is, we believe this, this is real. Um, you know, if you think about it, like, it was really inconvenient during the time when the apostles left the stage, as it were, of Christianity and all of a sudden persecution, even when the apostles are there. And you, Christianity is just, being trying to be snuffed out. Like you would think at that point, it's over, right? Like that's the end. But it actually, you see the gospel growing, bearing and growing fruit as Paul says, right? And, and you know, it's one of those things where even though this is a bizarre time through a pandemic uh, or coming out of a pandemic, here we are gathered. And I'd, I'm just grateful that you're here uh, but not not for me or whatever, but that you're saying, hey, I'm actually here to, to learn. And, and we, you know, we don't get to have morning tea. We don't get to give each other hugs. You know, we don't even get to sing. But you're here. To, and and I, I, I'm convinced that the Lord will actually use this time for his glory and your good as we open, as we open the word together. And I reckon that the, uh, sorry, guys, except for the YouTube because you're millennials, but uh, I reckon the 1030 couldn't have handled the cold because they're a bunch of wimps, right? Because <laughs> anyone under 50, like, just wants to wear yoga pants and talk about being a millionaire, right? So, but, 
but the you know the the build the, the the what do you guys you guys are the builder generation right most of you not the boomers the builders are like the hey we've lived with nothing after World War II and you brats that are a bunch of the generation Y's X and millennials and everything else you don't so all that to say is I'm actually grateful yeah that's right Bronwyn yeah that's right yeah you're the millennials yeah so anyway. All that to say is, um, I'm encouraged and I'm excited that you're here, and I don't think this time will be wasted. I believe God is sovereign over this very moment that we're here, and I pray that you don't waste the time either. I pray that you're actually here for the right reasons. Like, there's not a lot of thrills this morning, is there? Like, Ross, you did a great job singing, but like, we don't have a lot of cool, extra peripheral things that would attract someone to really coming here other than like, we've got the most important thing which is the word of God, right? And, and I pray that you actually don't waste this time here, that you don't just kind of sit there and drone and think, let your mind drift, but say, okay, what is God's will for my life? Um, let me ask you this specifically. Have you ever had, the, um, have you ever had a, a friend text you, maybe within this church, and they've said, I'm, um, I'm praying for you, you know? And that's encouraging, isn't it? I'm praying for you. And maybe a few days later or a couple weeks later, they say, I'm praying for you about X, Y, Z, right? And, and that's encouraging as well. But what if I texted you, me, uh, you know, I messaged you this week and I said, I am praying that you know God's will. How, how, would, you, how, would, how would you receive that? Well, maybe some of you would want to know what I mean. Others, you'd probably think, well, yeah, I mean, I've got this big decision. I've got to sell this house. Or I've got to take this new job. Or fill in the blank. Yeah, I, I want to know what, what is God's will for my life? Well, such as Paul's prayer, as we just saw it there in Colossians. Did you notice that? What does Paul pray? He prays that they know God's will. Paul's prayer for the Colossians, right, is, I want you to know God's will. So today what I want to do is this. I'd actually like to think about God's will what that is, what that means. Maybe some of you have heard that language a lot, God's will, God's will. Maybe some of you, it's not familiar. And then that's the first part of the sermon. And then the second part of the sermon will be, um, what does God's will, I guess, look like, played out? So that's pretty simple, right? That's kind of how the sermon's going to fold out for us. What, what's God's will? Like, what, what, is, what does that even mean? What does that look like? What is that? And then how does that sort of play out? Is that easy enough to track along with? What is it? How does it work? Okay? So that's where we're headed. Let's, uh, before we do, let's, let's look to the Lord now in prayer. Gracious God, we turn to you asking that you would take up your word and work by it in our hearts. 
not only to instruct our minds, but also to incline our wills to new obedience, to inflame our affections, to love the truth and hate our sin. Grant to us the grace of faith to believe and to cling to Christ as he speaks to us in his holy word. For we ask it in his name, in Jesus' name, amen. So the verse before us today is, when it was just read, it's a bit of a mouthful. Did you notice it there? I mean, you know, there's a lot of, but, it's, but at the same time, there's also, it's rich and it's meaningful. Paul has structured each of his words there very intentionally. It's, it's not random, right? Paul doesn't, his prayer there is not sort of this generic, oh, dear God, thank you for the food. Let's pray. Let's eat sort of prayer. You know, let's pray. Oh, dear God, thank you for this food. Oh, would you bless those who don't have food? And, you know, um, uh, let's see what else should I pray for. Shoot. Um, oh, bless the hands that made it and, um, and be with, uh, what, was, what was her name again? Yeah, yeah, be with, be with so-and-so. That, that's not Paul's prayer. It's actually very honed in. It's very specific, right? I mean, he, he begins by saying, and so from the day we heard, we, we haven't stopped praying for you. You see that there? It's consistent. It's, and then he's specific. He's, he's praying that they know God's will. But let's back it up a little bit to verse 9. If you look there, he says, and so from the day we heard. Heard what? Heard what? Do you recall last week how he talked about the golden triad? Do you remember that? The Christian triad, faith, love, hope? Well, it's precisely for that reason, Paul's saying, that I'm about to pray. They have a faith and love which are based on hope. It's because of that he's moved to constantly pray for them. And this prayer, it's not random. Again, it's honed in. Look what he says. Look at verse 9 again. Look at the specific target. From the day we heard, we have not ceased praying for you, asking, here it is, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. What is the great need of this church? It's that they would be able to grasp this thing called God's will. And not just a passing understanding of it, by the way, not just a cheap sort of sentimental understanding of God's will, but a deep and thorough comprehension of it. A deep and thorough comprehension of it. So I suppose a fair question then would be, all right, well, what is it? Right? I mean, if Paul says, and I pray that you have a deep and powerful lasting, comprehending understanding of this thing. Okay, well then what is this thing called God's will? Before I answer that, let me ask you this. For all of you here in the room, do you, do you want to live a life? This is sort of a, this is a very softball thing. We're in church. Do you want to live a life pleasing to the Lord? Pretty much everyone's going to say that, right? Okay, fair enough. Cool. I, I, pretty, I, I, didn't, I didn't expect someone would shout out no, but it would have been interesting if someone would have. That would have been kind of fun. But, but do you want to live a life pleasing the Lord? Yes. Okay, okay. Then 
you have to know, you got to know God's will. You see how those two go hand in hand? Because he says, having a deep understanding of knowing God's will, and then you'll be able to walk in a manner pleasing to the Lord. Do you see that there? So you can't have one without the other. Does that make sense? You can't walk in a way pleasing to the Lord without knowing God's will. That's the prerequisite, right? Not my opinions. They're in the Bible. So what is God's will? Well, here's the catch. When you open up the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and, and every time you look at this idea of God's will, sort of it breaks out into two ideas. One is God's sovereign will, or you could call it will of decree, his decretive will. Second is his moral will. So when we talk about God's sovereign will, what, what, do, what do we mean by that? What do, what do we mean? In fact, let me ask you guys. That's not a rhetorical question. When I say God's will of decree, you can actually, I'm, I'm at, I'd love feedback here. What do you think that means? What is God's decretive will? Does that, because I, if I, I don't want to assume that you know what I mean. <laughs> I'm happy to actually like, if, if no one gives me feedback, I'm assuming everyone knows what I mean. That's cool. Yeah, okay, yes, yes. Yeah, well, but that's probably more, you said, sorry, his laws. Yes, and we're going to get into that actually in the second bit, a little bit more specific. But yes. That would connect with what Knowles is saying. Okay, good. This, this, is, this is helpful, actually. This is helpful. Okay, so when we say God's will of... Here's what I have. Can I just insert this, by the way? Um, because this is kind of a random... Like, we're all sort of spread out. I want to do more Q&As like this with you guys as well. Like, you know, when we're normal gathered and everything else, there's probably more rhetorical questions. But this is actually really helpful. So, like, and, and I'm not... I would never... Both of, those are, both of those are very right, by the way. I'm not going to like, ha, 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 wrong. Eh. First, I wouldn't do that to Bronwyn, trust me, for a lot of reasons. No word Rob. Um, this Rob or that Rob. Um, yeah, but, but that's actually really, that's really helpful for me to know. So, let, let, me, so let, me, let me help you this way, okay? Let me frame it this way. When God decrees, meaning, um, here's a decree, let there be light. Boom, exactly. And there was light. Um, when he decrees the world, even now, presently, to continue moving, as it were. Right? He, he decrees that plants will come up out of the ground. He decrees that birds right now, even the, even the annoying ones, will fly through the air. And what happens? They do. Birds are flying through the air. Plants shoot up out of the ground. We have winter now and spring, all these things. But, but that's hidden from us because we're never quite sure what God is going to do next. Does that make sense? We can look in hindsight and see what God's will was, right? But we're, we can't know what tomorrow holds, can we? God does though, Right? God knows perfectly and wills it, decrees it, sustains it, makes it happen. God's will, his sovereign will, what God has planned 
from eternity past and brings into things in space and time. So what God has planned, he decreed it, and it's all unfolding in time. The other way God's will, and this is where both of the, you ladies were onto, is what's called God's moral will, what he commands. So what Knowles just said is things that he says in his word, or like what Bronwyn just says, there's an imperative, leave Jerusalem. Let me give you one. Here we go. Romans 12, therefore I urge you, brothers, sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, right? Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. I think there was true protracted worship, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Does this verse sound familiar to people? But then, er, listen, then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is. Did you hear that? His good, pleasing, and perfect will. What's God's will? Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Obey what God commands, his moral imperatives. How about this? In Thessalonians, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you avoid sexual immorality and he lists a whole other vice, another vice things. So what's God's will? Be sanctified. Again, those are, that's all falling under the category of this idea of God's moral will. God says, do this. Don't do that. Moral will, ethical will, commands. God's, you, and some people will now say that's God's perceptive will, right? Because we know those things. Like when you study Greek mythology, sometimes the gods have ideas of things that offend them, but they don't tell the people. And then when the people do it, the gods get upset, right? It's not the God that we serve. God says, be holy for I am holy. Do this, do that. Don't do this, don't do that. We're not guessing like, ooh, is this, is this bad? Can I murder someone or not? Maybe we have thought that. That's a whole other thing. But we, there's no question about that, right? Thou shall not murder. So those are, those are all under the category of God's moral commands. Now, here's the question I have. When God tells us to know his will, Again, this applies to those of you that if you're a new Christian or you've been walking with Jesus for a long, long time, we're, we're all called to know God's will, right? So then when, when Paul prays that we would know, comprehend, understand, grasp, get God's will, what will is he referring to? His sovereign will or his moral will? Well, wouldn't it be downright mean and nasty of Paul to expect us to somehow decipher what God's sovereign will is, that we somehow have to enter into heaven's sort of courtroom, as it were, and know what's going to happen, say, tomorrow afternoon at 3 o'clock in Bangladesh? How on earth are we supposed to know that? Or what, even what's going to happen in our own life, say, tomorrow at 3 o'clock or Thursday for that matter? We don't really know. We can have an idea that on tomorrow at three o'clock we'll be doing X, Y, and Z, but we don't really know, do we? God knows though. God's decreed it. 
It's already done and dusted. God has settled it. It's God's sovereign will. So then when he says, you know, you need to know, discern, decipher, do you think it's probably not God's sovereign will? Right? How, how are we supposed to know what God's sovereign will is for the future? We can't. But we can know what God's will is for the present, his moral will. It's interesting there. Did you notice that there's not a period where he says, understand? Look what he says. If, if you're following along there in your Bible, he says, and so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So to walk, here it comes, so to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, period. Now go figure out, no, no, notice. And if you have it, some of you have an NIV, there's even a colon there, which is super helpful. It's a, that's a bit of interpretation though, because there's not a colon in Greek. But it's helpful that the NIV has actually set that up for you because you ready? If you understand and grasp what God's moral will is, then guess what your life, guess what? How do you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him? You've got to undercomprehend God's moral will. And when we do that, guess what? We'll bear fruit. You see it there? We'll, we'll grow in our knowledge of God. We'll persevere with patience and then we'll thank God for it. Picture it like this. God's will is like the trunk of a tree. And the branches of the tree are described in verses 10 through 14. So here's a PowerPoint. So here's God's will. That's the, that's the trunk of a tree. God's moral will encompasses, though, every item that he lists following after his, he's just said, know God's will. Does that make sense? So when we know God's moral will, our lives should be characterized by fruitful living, knowledgeable living, powerful living, and thankful living. Can you see it there in the text for yourself? Now let's unpack those, shall we? First one is fruitful living in verse 10. Verse 10. The Bible defines fruit in various ways. Here, Paul says, bearing fruit in every good work. Do you see that? Bearing fruit in every good work. In other words, knowing exactly what it is the Lord has called you to do will allow you to properly obey him, and that obedience will result in fruitful living. But let's be honest. When you think about God's plan for your life, we often think, ooh, ooh, what special task does God have for me? It's got to be a big one because, I mean, after all, I serve a big God and that sounds good. Yeah, ooh, must be something, must be amazing. Well, let me help you with that. Here's God's will for your life. Know Christ. Enjoy him forever. Share Jesus with everyone you possibly can. There's this thing called the Great Commission. We're all called to do it. And let me be more specific. Pray for people. 
Pray for people here at this church. Lead your families. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Let me be more specific. Help wipe down chairs after church today. Make a meal for someone in this church this week. Find out what their favorite meal is. Make, you know, make sure they don't have food allergies. Make a meal for them and pray for them. Well, that's not very exciting. Well, how come? Well, because uh, that God's got, a, she's got this big plan for me. Yes, that's massive. You'd be amazed how selfish you are and you don't want to do half the things I just said and how you'll grow through them if you do. Myself included, by the way. And I, I really think the reason that we focus on the big stuff that, you know, that, and God might be calling you to go overseas and somewhere else, but I would guess, I would guess for the vast majority of us, we're called to be faithful right here in our suburb where God has placed us. You, you want to know God's will for your life today? Ready? I've got this. It's just profound. It's amazing. You want to know God's will for you right now, this very second? Everyone look down at your feet. See where you're sitting, standing? That's God's will for you. And you're called to be faithful today. God cares more about who you are, what you're doing, your obedience, your faithfulness to him, than you trying to decipher and figure out some amazing, cool plan. God might have this unique plan, sure. But you see, we're called to be faithful. Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers, said this. He really hones in on this idea of being fruitful in every good work. And Spurgeon, as he's just amazing at doing this, he fleshes this out and, and really brings home this idea of basic Christian living. Listen when he says, he says, here is room and range enough in every good work. Have you the ability to preach the gospel? Preach it. Does a little child need comforting? Comfort it. Can you stand up and vindicate a glorious truth before thousands? Do it. Does a poor saint need a bit of dinner from your table? Send it to her. Let works of obedience, testimony, zeal, charity, piety, and compassion all be found in your life. Do not select big things as your special line, but glorify the Lord also in the littles, fruitful in every good work. Isn't that good? You know, in a Jewish mind, a person does not know something unless they do it. And that is why Paul is saying that true spiritual knowledge will result in true spiritual living, fruitful living. How many of you have um, a tree in your, in your yard, perhaps, or maybe in, in the past that produces fruit? Anybody? We've got a mandarin tree. And ours, so which is pretty good. Except that isn't the kids take all the fruit. So if you come over, you won't get any fruit on it. But if you have a tree that bears fruit in your yard, um, all that comes from the sap in the roots, which flows up through the trunk and out into the branches and ultimately bears fruit. Jesus said, 
Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I want us to look at verse 10 again, and this is a rhetorical question. Again, open floor time. Look at the language Paul uses. In verse 10, he says, bearing fruit and increasing, or bearing fruit and growing. When you hear that phrase, bearing fruit and growing, and you reflect upon the rest of Scripture, where does that expression take your mind? Does that make sense? Like, certain expressions will take your mind somewhere. I could say certain things like which bank, Commonwealth, or, you know, Aussie kids or Weepix kids or, you know, whatever. But, but when you hear that expression, bearing fruit and growing, let me just get some feedback. Where does that take your mind? Anybody? Yes. A vineyard. Yes. Okay. Yep. Psalm 1, yeah. Okay. What, where, where at about the um, blessed is the man and his... He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither and all that he does, it prospers. Yeah, yeah, okay. Anyone else? Yes, specifically in the Bible, when you think about that language of, sorry? Oh yeah, yeah, and curse the fig tree. Yeah, okay. Poor little fig tree. Anyone else? Bearing fruit and growing? Well, this could be an echo from Genesis 1. Maybe I'm, I'm off, maybe I'm off base here, but the language bearing fruit and growing is something that God talks about with his original creation, right? So it could be that Paul picks up this creation language and applies it to God's new creation. Basically, those who've, been, who've placed their faith in Jesus are God's new creation, and will live by new standards, and they'll bear fruit in every good work. And you know why? It's because they're growing in the knowledge of God, which is our second point. Knowledgeable living. Knowledgeable living. Next part of our branch there. I did not make this PowerPoint, by the way. That would be Nicole Wakely all the way. But knowledgeable living. Is, that, is, this, is this thing even making sense, by the way? See, it's God's will. It's flowing out of fruitful living, and now the second point is knowledgeable living. Look at verse 10 again. He says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in your spiritual experiences that are subjective to you. If you don't have a Bible, I could have, all you know, that could be true. It's good to have a Bible and know that the pastor's not making this junk up. Right? That is false teaching. That's right. But what does he say? Jeanette, what does he say? Read it out loud for us. Verse 10, yeah. Increasing in the knowledge of God. 
Very good. That's the right one, not the one I just made up, right? So Paul seems to be somewhat repeating himself by this point. Did you notice that? You remember his opening request, his request that they might be filled with the knowledge of the will of God? You remember that? And now he's praying that a life changed by that knowledge is a life that is marked by increasing in the knowledge of God. It's kind of like he's come full circle. You, you, you tracking with me? You increase in knowledge of God's will so that you grow in knowledge. Interesting. But it's actually a beautiful description of the Christian life. Listen, the more, and this is what, I was praying specifically with you guys in mind this week. So I'm going to read this part because I can't stand. I want to look you in the eyes, but I literally wrote this out, deleted stuff, wrote it out, deleted it, wrote it again, wrote it again, wrote it again, wrote it again, prayed over it. So I'm going to just read it. This is what I had you in mind, okay? The more you get to know God, the more that knowledge changes your heart changes your motives, changes the way you behave and live. Right knowledge leads to right living. The Puritan William Perkins famously said that theology is, and listen to this, theology is the science of living blessedly forever. What a great definition of the study of Christian truth. It is the science of living blessedly forever. And so he's praying, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God. A healthy Christian life requires the pursuit of knowledge. We need to know the truth about God, who he is, what he's like, what he's done. Listen, it is not possible. It is not possible to be godly and not think deeply about God about his word, about ourselves, and about God's world. That's why Paul's praying for growing knowledge. He, he wants Christians to love doctrine, love truth, and to love to understand who God is and what God wants for us, knowledgeable living. That's why I hand you all those books. I'm going to annoy you with them. I want, I want us to, so we can be eggheads. No, 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 no. So we can, you see Paul there? The way that, you see what God's will is? It's that we grow in our knowledge of him. Next one's found in verse 11. Powerful living. And it'll come up on the tree. There you go. Thanks, Nige. Powerful living in verse 11. Can someone read verse 11 for me? You already did Thank you, Judy. That was a good reading. We all heard it. A bit of conjecture here, though, but you wonder, as Judy's just reading that, you wonder if the false teachers were hanging around the Colossian church, meeting people out in the car park, and saying, we want to introduce you to a fullness in the Christian life. Hey, come over here. You know, what Epaphras, you know, what, what he taught you, that's good as far as it goes, but you want the real power? Ooh, we've got that for you. By the way, that's exactly what cults do, do they not? They approach Christians with something else, something more, something fuller. And so Paul, 
again, prays that the Colossians would be strengthened with real spiritual power, real divine power. And you would think, you would think that the result is that they would do these amazing things for God, right? I mean, this is the Apostle Paul, and he's saying, you know what God's will is that you be a powerful living. And so if you have powerful living, you're going to walk on water, raise the dead, blah, 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 fill in the blank, fill in the blank, fill in the blank. And he just says, oh, you, you, you know what real powerful living is? It's that you, what, what is it? Endure. You want It's that you actually stay the course. It's that you persevere and you do it with patience. Very interesting, isn't it? You know, you, you hear churches, you, we want the power of God in this place, the power of God, you know, especially the peas pop. With the, and, and, and you want to know, hey, you want to know what the power of God is? It's that you endure in the faith and that you persevere. It's not power for the sake of thrills, but a power which produces certain realities in our life. Paul's praying for a spiritual endurance that these Colossians would continue on in the faith. The word endurance there means to bear up under a weight. It's the same word um, James uses, by the way. Pupamanein in Greek, that means nothing to you. But remain under. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith develops. Pupamanein, same word here, Greek. Endure. Remaining under. So he's saying, I pray that you're strengthened with God's power to remain under. Which, perhaps these guys were under pressure, really? really? I mean, from a culture around them to cave in to the world around them. So he says, I want you to endure and I want you to do so with patience. With joy and with thanks. You see that there? Now that's taking it a bit far, don't you think? It's one thing to sort of have a stiffer up lip, right? I guess I can tough it out, but joy and thanks? That's asking too much. If you were asked, if I asked you to give four descriptions, if we sat together, socially distanced after this, and I said, give me four descriptions of a life that pleases the Lord. I wonder if you'd put in that list of the four, giving thanks thankful living. I mean, that's probably not one that would make the list. We'd probably have all these other ones. But Paul has here giving thanks with joy. You see that there? It's interesting. Go to Colossians 2. See if you can hear the same sort of idea here. In chapter 2, verse 6, he says, therefore, chapter 2, verse 6, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. That kind of sounds, does it already sound a little bit familiar? So walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in what? Thanksgiving. Be joyful. Thanksgiving, that's what he's saying. Not be happy, by the way. He's not talking about happy, clappy, obnoxiousness. Nothing against you clapping. <laughs> That's right. Thank you. It's not talking about that. 
but true joy, right? So as we give thanks to God, we are reminded of what he's done. And this happens as you ponder, notice the image of verse 12. And someone said this last week when I said, what's your favorite part of Colossians? I don't remember who it was, but someone quoted this verse. Look at verse 12. Go back to chapter one, verse 12. He says, giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. Of this, I'm sorry, of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see the transfer imagery there? There's this idea of an old realm and a new realm. Could you, see, could you catch it? Human beings, when you are born into this world, you are born, all of us, outside of Christ. Okay? And we are all born, as it were, into our representative head. Still following with me? His name is Adam. We're all born in Adam. And we are born, because of that, in Adam, separated from God. We, we live in the realm of Satan, sin, despair, darkness. But in God's grace, he transfers us from that realm into the realm of light in the kingdom of his son. You see what the father's work there? Father transfers us, takes us, and places us. You see, God is worthy of thanksgiving because he has qualified his children to share in the heavenly inheritance, rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred them. So far as our really position is concerned, we are in our substitute. We're no longer in Adam. We are in Christ. He is our representative. He is our covenantal head, the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore we stand before God in Christ and we stand in his life, in his merits, in his life on our behalf. That's why a believing Christian can say, I know that I am a Christian and I know that I have the forgiveness of sins for Christ is the ground upon which I stand. His person and his work he is my representative. You picture the blokes out in the car park in the Colossian church saying, ooh, did you get it? Have you got it? You know, this, that power that we're talking about? Ooh, have you got the special knowledge that we're talking about? Have you got it? Did you get it? And the Colossians, if they're in Christ, can say, we've had it. And it's not what you're talking about. It's Christ alone. All the fullness dwells in him and we are complete if we are in him. The all-sufficient Christ, that's again the book of Colossians. I cannot stress to you enough to be here. If you like just what I, I'm sort of setting the, the rig up here in closing for what Paul is just about to say in the following verses. It is an incredible hymn, Christ hymn it's called, where it's just, yeah. So I cannot stress to you importance enough to be here next week. Some of you have, have actually had a go at memorizing this passage, which is awesome. 
maybe some of you can actually have a, a go at memorizing it this week or just reading through that. Chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. You want to have good theology? You want to know God? Remember, right? You want to have knowledgeable living? Think on, meditate on the next five verses. You cannot probably get better Christology in the Bible than that's, I mean, that's a big statement. But really, it's, you probably can't get better Christology, meaning focus on Jesus, who he is, his person, his work, da, 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 than the next five verses. It is amazing. So be here next week. As we close, anything that you have questions about from what I said today, anything that stuck, stuck out to you, any comments, complaints, concerns, rebukes, rebuttals, nothing? Sorry? The love of God is incurable. Incredible. I was like, incurable. Any, anybody else? Any thoughts, ideas? Does this, does this, does this thing, it's not Nicole's fault, it'd be my fault, I'm the one that gave this to her. Does this, does this thing make sense? Does the, does the whole God's will thing, is it, as the, hopefully the penny dropping a little bit more? I don't mean that in a condescending way, I'm just trying to, trying to make sure that you guys are tracking where we're, I'm going. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, how so? Mm-hmm. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, so don't don't taste, touch, eat from the any tree except for this tree, or whatever. Yeah, I said that wrong, but yeah, okay. Yeah, no, that's I never actually made that connection. That's really interesting. Anyone else before we uh, close up the time? I'm not like if you want to come talk to me afterwards too. Like I, I won't <laughs> be offended if you. Even if you disagree with what I'm saying, like that, that's fine. And we can just have a, like, we can have a good conversation on it. Oh, sure. But we're just trying to, the reason I got, do you understand why I got what I got from the text? So is it God's will that you encourage people? Sure. I mean, there's other things that's not on that tree that's part of God's moral will, right? But I'm confined to, the texts for this immediate sermon. There'll be other sermons where there'll be a, things about encouraging and stuff like that. And you, that's definitely part of God's will. Romans 15, I think, actually hits on that about fruits as well. Um, don't quote me on that. But yeah. The Lord found it like timing, whatever you want to say, appropriate in his timing and in his providence to actually save this man. Paul didn't save himself. He was trying to exterminate Christians, right? And God saves him. It's interesting too. You got me distracted here for a second, Knowles, but, but do you notice what God's will for Paul is when in the book of Acts he's saved? He didn't say, oh, and I've got great plans for this man. He just needs to try to figure them out. I will show this bloke 
how much he must suffer for my name. That's my will for his life. God's will is that we actually suffer, but suffer well, right? It's been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for his sake. That's a whole nother sermon. But I'm encouraged. Very cool. Look, I, I've been encouraged by this as well. Uh, a book that I have in my office, if any of you want to check out, that talks more about this uh, by Gary Friesen. I think it's um, Discovering... Well, just ask me. I've got it in the office. You know me. I'm always handing you books. But Knowing and Discovering the Will of God, Gary Friesen. Um, it's kind of thick. But he, he talks about... He talks, and here's what he combats at. And you just looked at your watch. I need to wrap this up, don't I? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Let's, let's stop. Oh, we can look, read the book if you want to read the book. All right. Uh, hey, let's pray. Let's pray together. Lord, again, we, we thank you that you haven't left us to fumble in the dark when it comes to knowing your will. And I pray that this church, Lord, would be marked by fruitfulness, fruitful living, knowing you truly as you've revealed yourself have this powerful living where we are enduring and thankfulness. I pray that you would mark us by that, that we be distinct from the world. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are identifying in Christ and you're saying, I am in Jesus, then we're going to take this time to uh, have communion together. If you are in Adam, you see how you don't have that communion with Christ yet? And that's why it's okay to just look on and let these elements pass by. But if you're in Christ, then let's celebrate that together of his life on our behalf, his death on our behalf. Amen? So uh, Bernadette and Joy are going to be passing out. Sorry, you're already ready with the gloves. Are going to be passing out. Um, did Ross, you already cover the bits and bobs of the new communion stuff? Cool. Grab those. When you grab them, Ross is going to sing one last song for us. Do all the ripping now so everyone's not like <laughs> all at once, okay? So do the ripping now. Hold on to the bread and the juice together. We'll take them together to church. Sound good? Go ahead and burn it. commands all the hosts of heaven who else could make every king bow down who else can whisper and darkness trembles only a holy God what other beauty demands such praises what other splendor outshines the sun? What other majesty rules with justice? Only a holy God. Come and behold him, the one and the only. Sing holy, 
forever a holy God. Come and worship the holy God. What other glory consumes like fire? What other power can raise the dead? What other name remains undefeated? Only a holy night that Jesus was portrayed, he took bread and broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat together. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as if you drink of it. 
Amen. Ross will give you some directions to head out here and then give us a benediction. Um, on your way out, which you can't mingle, but I'm going to leave this up here. You can't obviously see it from where you're sitting, but this book is Decision Making and the Will of God. I think I said that. So there you go. Really helpful book, actually. I read that ages ago. That saved me. Yeah, saved me a lot. So hopefully it'll be helpful for you as well. There you are. Ross took his way. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Thanks for that challenge to know God's will and to live. I really like that, living in the present as well and following him in the present, in the here and now that God has for us. Um, what an encouraging time to come around God's word together this morning. I'm sure you will agree. Um, just a quick reminder that at the end, we need to leave quickly, hop in our cars and go. And, and like I said, try and catch up with someone, um, maybe at a park, maybe at your home or, or give someone a call so you can chat about and encourage one another to live as God's people in his will. From Colossians 2, 6 to 7, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with kindness. God bless you all.